so that you know it's very rare. You'll never get to go to gospel meetings again where you know what verse you're going to speak on. You, you never know. It's like a mystery. And then when you do know, you're like, wow, it's like a miracle. And I do. So just think how special it is. Each night you come, you already know the verse. I have no secrets. I, I've told you everything. So before we read our verse tonight, we're going to ask for God's blessing on the meeting. We're going to pray. Our Father, we give thanks once again for uh, the weekend past and also for the first day of the week yesterday, the Lord's Day. And yet we know from Scripture that we can say even of this Monday, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we can say that, and hopefully we can say it no matter what happens. But we think of how the Bible tells us, too, that heaven rejoices on every day of the week, but it rejoices when sinners get saved. And so we pray that this Monday would be one of those days, a day where we can say we rejoice, but that the angels in heaven, they would rejoice too because of someone putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So bless our message tonight, the gospel, as it would go forth. Pray for all these ears here today that are going to listen to it. Might the word of God do just what you have said it would do, that it would accomplish the greatest of all tasks, that it would lead someone to know their sins forgiven, it would lead them to the Lord Jesus. So we ask this all in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So tonight, Isaiah 53 and verse number 7, we're going to read. So we're, we're past the halfway mark um, in this chapter. And uh, if you include the three verses in the last chapter, which are kind of part of it, um, we're, we're almost kind of right in the middle there. We're getting right to the middle um, of these verses. Uh, and that's, that's very unique. And tonight, we're going to speak about a, a verse here that it's the first time that we hear about the death the Lord Jesus. And all these verses that we've been reading, we've been reading about his suffering, but we read about his death for the first time tonight in this verse. And uh, maybe you don't know this, but uh, Isaiah is a very unique book because it's, it's kind of like a miniature Bible. How many chapters in the Bible? I mean, how many books in the Bible? 66. 66 books in the Bible. Guess how many chapters are in Isaiah? 66. 66 chapters in Isaiah. You say, when you open up your Bible in Genesis, you read about a sickness that goes across all of humanity. When Adam sins, everyone gets it. When you open up the book of Isaiah, you read about a sickness. And it says everyone is sick from the top of their head down to their toes. You know, when you go to the last book of your Bible, the book of... Revelation. The Bible tells us there there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth one day. And when you go to the last chapters in Isaiah, guess what you read about? New heavens and a new earth. I want you to do this. I don't often give homework. You go home. How many books in the Old Testament? <coughs> you don't know. You don't know. This is good. There's 39 books in the Old Testament and there's 27 in the New. I want everybody to do this. Before you go to bed tonight, you go home and you open up Isaiah. And this is this is gonna, you're gonna be like, this is unbelievable. When you read chapter 40, when you go from 39 to 40, all of a sudden you're gonna see this big difference. All of a sudden, 
Isaiah is going to start talking about salvation. He's going to start talking about this servant. He's going to start talking about the man that we've been reading about. You're going to go, it's just like the Bible. After those 39 books are done, we get to Matthew and Mark. We get to those books. It's talking all about the Lord Jesus. You say, that is, that is so neat or unique that the book that we're in, Isaiah, it's like a miniature Bible. And you know, when you read about the Lord Jesus, there is this introduction to the Lord Jesus. But every one of the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all want to get to one detail about the Lord Jesus' life. You know, some of them talk about his birth, and some of them talk about the Mount of Transfiguration, but it's just a couple words here or there. But each one of these books wants to get to the most important event in the Lord Jesus' life, and that is when he died. You know, when you read biographies of famous people, the death of that person only gets like a couple pages. I once read a biography about Alexander Hamilton. It was so long, I haven't finished it yet. I started it four years ago. But you know, his death in that book, I think it's only pages 415 to 417 out of like 600 pages. But you know what? The Bible wants to tell us about the death of Jesus Christ. And so the verse that we're going to read tonight, it's the first time that we hear about his death. So pay attention to this verse when it talks about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to use a term that is really, really violent. It's not going to use a nice term when it talks about the Lord Jesus' death. So we open up our miniature Bible in Isaiah, and we turn right to the middle verse of one of the most important chapters in Isaiah. This is what we read. Isaiah 53 and verse 7 says this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. That's the word, slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his his mouth. We'll read it one more time. Speaking about the Lord Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. We know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. The verse starts, you know, after we've been going, we've been going through Isaiah now here, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Monday, six nights. You start to hear things now. You say, hey, I've heard that before. That sounds familiar. And uh, I, 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 I told you some things, and you say, you know, I remember you told us about that before. The way this verse starts, you know, if you said, Dave, we got to be done in four minutes. I, I didn't have a lot of time. I said, I only get four minutes. What would I tell you tonight? I would tell you he was. The way our verse starts. He was. You know, when you read Isaiah 53, there's all these he was. He was bruised. Right? He was afflicted. He was despised. He was taken. And there's all these he was. When you get to the end of the chapter, there's all these he will. He will. And it's looking to the future. But your salvation, for you to have your sins forgiven, I can tell you this, he was. It's already done. It's already finished. You ever go out to dinner sometimes? This hasn't happened to many of you yet. But one day you'll go out to dinner, and you know what the most difficult part about going out to dinner is? 
who pays the bill? Who pays the bill? It's very difficult. It's kind of, it's almost like a chess match, right? And you know what I do? Is when, when you're going out to dinner to solve the problem, you say, I gotta get up and I gotta use the bathroom. And when you go to the bathroom, you pay the bill. You pay the bill. No one knows you did it. And you go and you sit back down at the table. There could be eight, nine people there. And you're all sitting and looking at each other. And everybody's so nervous inside. Like, who's going to pay for this? I can't believe I ordered that many appetizers. Why did I do that? I got three coats and there's no free refills. Why did I do that? And there's all this nervousness. And then you know what happens? The waitress comes by and says, thank you very much. Very nice to see you guys tonight. Have a good night. And they go, whoa, whoa. And then they find out. Someone already paid the bill. And you get to leave and go. And you say, that's great. You know, if, if, if that happened, and all of a sudden you said, no, 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 and you got your wallet out, you said, no, 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 bring the bill here. Bring the bill here, I got my credit card right here. Bring it right now. She said, no, 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 no. It's already done. It's already paid. You don't have to do anything. It's already taken care of. You said, no, no, I want to do it again. No. If you did that, you would be paid twice. You see, the Lord Jesus already died. He was. It's in the past. You can be saved if you want to do something. Some people think they got to feel something. They got to say something. They got to pray something. They got to sing something. They got to do something. No, no, no. If you have to do anything, then you got to pay twice. But if the Lord Jesus did everything, He was. Bible says. And it says it so many times. It means it's already done. You can be saved because he was crucified. He died. It's in the past. It's not in the future. You can have that tonight. You say that's a simple gospel message, but we'll go on because we have more time. He was. I want to talk about this verse tonight. And what's very special about this verse too is that there's a phrase that's repeated. Not a lot of repetitions in the Bible. We believe that every word in the Bible, God spoke. That means when you read the Bible, every word, you say, God meant it to be there. And so sometimes, you ever, you ever talk with older people, they repeat themselves. You say, you already told me that. Don't, don't tell me that again. You know, God, he never repeats himself. If he says something twice, he wants you to hear it. He wants you to know it. And twice in this verse, we read, he did not open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth. We read that twice about the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. But three things I want to talk about. And then I will explain them. I want to talk about the word similar. Because this verse tells us that the Lord Jesus is similar to you and I. He's like us. Because the Bible here calls him a sheep. And actually, if you were here last night, you realize the Bible also calls us sheep. So it uses the same animal to describe us and the Lord Jesus, but, but it, it, it uses it in different ways. But actually, it's still the same animal that describes us. I want to talk about the word similar. I want to talk about the word slaughter, because it says here that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And then I want to talk about the word silent, because it says two times he did not open his mouth. Similar, slaughter, and silent. So when it says there, similar, very uh, 
unique that the Lord Jesus here is described as a sheep before his shears. He's, he's described, he's saying, how is the Lord Jesus similar? Because last night you talked about sheep, they, they go straight, they don't get to get home, but here it uses a sheep in a different way and it talks about its silence. But using that picture, you know, the Lord Jesus was a real man just like you or me. You say, if we were able to get a stethoscope and we were to measure the heartbeats of the Lord Jesus, we would realize that his heart would have beat about 100,000 times in one day, just like you. If you were to get the blood pressure uh, patch that your grandfather has at home, and you were to wrap that blood pressure uh, bandage around his arm, and then you were to squeeze it, you would realize that the Lord Jesus had a blood pressure of somewhere around 120 over 80, just like some of you, not all of you. If you were to look at the Lord Jesus and say, how many chromosomes do you have? 46. How many bones do you have? 206. Just like you. So he was just like me. He was a real man. There was nothing fake about the Lord Jesus. In fact, you go home and you tell this to your parents. The Lord Jesus was the most normal man that there ever was. You and I are not normal. I don't mean that, that you're weird. We're not normal. The Lord Jesus was the most normal man there ever was. You say, he was just like me. He had feet like me, eyes like me. He had hands like me. You say, he, he, could, he could do the same things I do. He could run, he could walk, he could sleep, he could eat, he could breathe, he could talk, he could yell, he could cry, he could get mad. We read about all these things because he was a real man. You say, how was he different. How was he different from me? And I think everyone here knows the answer to that. You say he had to be different because otherwise he couldn't be my savior. You know, when I was eight years old, I went out to Iowa. There's some people in the meeting here who are from Iowa, and they might know about the place that I'm talking about. And I went to a camp that was called the Yogi Bear Summer Camp. And we all got shipped there as kids. And all my cousins who grew up in Iowa, they all could do something I couldn't do. They could do a lot of things I couldn't do. They, they could ride four-wheelers and they could shoot guns. And uh, they were just, they were so much better than me than everything else. But the one thing they could do at the Oak Bear Camp that I couldn't do was swim. For some reason I couldn't swim. And I probably still can't. And they could. And that summer, I have a picture. When you go home, I'll show you sometime when you visit my house and you flip to page number four of my photo album, I have a picture of me with my goggles on and my life vest and standing next to me is a lifeguard. Because that summer, I got rescued three times from drowning, three times. You know what, that lifeguard, when, when I looked at that lifeguard, I said, we both had feet. We both had hands. We, we, we both breathed the same way. We both wore goggles. You say, no, Dave, there was one difference. They could swim and you can't. That's how they could save you. You know, the Lord Jesus has one difference from you and I. He doesn't have any sins. He never could sin. He could never say a sin, think a sin, do a sin. No sin in him. No sin in his mind. Nothing. And that's what makes it possible for him to take your sins and to die for them. 
You say, when we think of Jesus Christ, how similar he is to all men and women, there was one giant difference that he had no sin, nothing wrong inside of him. He never took a wrong step. He never said a wrong word, never had a wrong thought. You say, that's almost impossible for you to even imagine. And yet, how wonderful. Because otherwise, I could never get up here and tell you you could be saved if there wasn't a sinless man. But there was. Jesus Christ. And so when we think of how he was similar, you can say, he didn't have the problem I had. He didn't have sin. And I do. But that's wonderful. You say, ah, it's, it's bad news that I've messed up. But actually, you know when you go to amusement parks and, and to ride the ride, you gotta be 54 inches? To go in the pool, you know, you gotta prove yourself swimming. And, and to drive a car, you, you have to pass a test. We were talking about it on the way up. There's all these things in life, you know, to, 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 to get into college, you gotta have such a high score on the SATs. You, to, to get into a, 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 good, a good athletic team, you gotta be able to run the 100 meter dash in something less than 10 seconds. And, and to be able to, to all these things in life, and you say, how am I ever going to get that that point where they're going to go, yes, you're able to do that. You know, the only, the only thing you need to have in order to be able to be saved, the only thing you need for you to be saved, you say, what is it? Some people, some people think, they look at salvation, they think of the Lord Jesus dying. They say, what is it someone needs to be saved? Do they need a Bible? No. So what is it that they need to be saved? Do they need to be able to sing? No. Do they need to be in a church? No. Do they need to go to a Sunday school? No. The Bible says the only thing that you need to be saved is sin. But if you have sin, if you've done wrong, if you've said things that are wrong, if you've thought things that are wrong, then you're in the right place, and this is the right man. Came into the world to save sinners. He died on the cross for sinners, not for good people. And so the only qualification for salvation is that you're a sinner. How similar the Lord Jesus was to us, but yet he didn't have the one thing that is bringing us to hell. He did not have that. He did not have sin. And so he was able to die for ours. The next word that I want to talk about is the word that's mentioned here, slaughter. And I said, this is the first time that this word is mentioned here in the whole chapter, the first time that we hear about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. You know, I don't do, I don't know, are there any, are there any sheep in Connecticut? Have you ever seen any sheep? No, you have. Yes, okay, we got one yes, one no. I don't know, maybe there are sheep. Down in New Jersey, I've only seen them once at a petting zoo. And you say, not a lot of sheep, so you don't get a lot of experience. But the sheep, we talked about how unique they are, and we talked about sometimes about how they get lost. But here's something maybe you do or do not know about sheep. Um, I once knew a man, and he told me about his visit. Uh, he actually went down to New Zealand, of all places, and he learned a lot about different things to do with sheep. And when you get them in, in giant groups, I think in order to see a lot of sheep around here, you have to go out to like Montana or way out into Western Canada. But sheep, 
What's very unique about this is that when they are going to get all that wool cut off them, which is actually can be quite a painful process, when they are going to be killed because people eat them, they don't make a noise. You know, my friend Tim, you can come meet Tim, he goes to my meeting, he used to tell me his dog, when they were gonna go to the veterinarian, his dog would not get in the car. His dog knew. Somehow, I, I, said, that's, I said, I didn't believe him. And he's not one to joke. And he said, you can ask any one of my siblings. He goes, the dog knew when we were going to the vet and he wouldn't get in the car. We had to drag it, drag it into the car. In fact, we have a dog at home. I don't, my parents do. It's, it's, it's nice looking, but it's, it's not very bright. But you know, when you say to it, let's go for a walk, it's right at the door, right at the door. But you know, my mom says, it knows when you're going to give it a bath down the local lawn, the bath place for the dogs. And it won't go to the door. It's like it knows, somehow, it doesn't understand its language, but the dog knows, I don't want to go there. I don't like that. And there's other animals, if, if, if there's danger, or somehow you say, it's amazing. It's amazing to think what goes through their minds that somehow they know, no, I don't want to go where you want me to because there's something that is negative or bad, whether it's a veterinarian, whether it's a bath, or whether it is death, it will not go. Sheep are not like that. Sheep are not like that. In fact, a lot of times you see sheep, when you go out to Texas, if you ever get the chance to go, my brother Andrew drove through Texas and he goes, you drive through, through just miles and miles of farmland. He goes, but when you see the cows and the cattle, he says, you always see the farmer, or you always see the, the cattleman, and he's on a horse, and you know where he's riding? He's riding behind, behind them. And, and he's yelling, he's got dogs, and, and they're hurting them, but, but it's called, he drives them. He moves the, the, the cows from behind, and other animals, you can move from behind. You know why you gotta do that? Because they don't wanna go. You have to push them. If you ever get the chance, I work on a pig farm, you get an electrocution rod and you start poking them and zapping them in the back to get them to move, but you do it from behind. You push them and push them to get them to move. You know what sheep do? What does our verse say? He was led. You know what that means? No one had to make the Lord Jesus die for you. He did it because he wanted to. No one had to push him. No one had to drive him. No one had to say, get going, go die for those sinners. No, the Bible tells us, just like sheep, they follow someone to their death. In fact, my friend who went to New Zealand told me they have a name and there's a, a, a special kind of sheep and a special kind of goat that they train and they call it the Judas, the Judas goat or the Judas sheep. And they train this animal, and the other sheep will follow that animal right to their death. You know why they call it the Judas? Because Judas was the one that portrayed the Lord Jesus. And the animal will just go. It'll never make a noise. It'll never, it'll never tense up. It will just go right to its death, and it'll follow. It'll follow a shepherd. It'll follow another animal right there. Remember that because the Lord Jesus Christ, he did not, was not forced to die for you. He died for you because he loved you. 
No one told him he had to. He did it, and we say this word, he did it voluntarily. It was not forced. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. You know what the John, John the Baptist said? He said these great words when he saw the Lord Jesus. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. What does the Lamb of God do? He takes away the sin of the world. If you read a story back in Genesis 22, say one of the first times that we are introduced to lambs and to, and to sacrifices, you know what we read? We read about a father and a son, Abraham and Isaac, and they go, they go up a mountain. And they're carrying wood with them. And, and here they are. They're going to start a sacrifice. And you know what the son says to, says to Abraham? He says, I see all the things that we have. We have knives. We have wood. We have fire. And he says, but where is the lamb? And Abraham says, he goes, God, God will provide a lamb. You know, when he said those words, that was in the year 2000. And 2,000 years later, God provided the lamb. And that lamb was his son, Jesus Christ. And the verse here says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep before her shears. The shears are the people who take the wool off the sheep. Since he, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't say anything. He just went quietly. And so that last thing that we read about here, we talked about him, he was similar. He say so unique because he didn't have any sins. He went to a slaughter. You know, sometimes people tell you about salvation. You know, oh, salvation is free, we say. Salvation costs you nothing, we say. We say you can have it, you don't need to do anything. You know, that's true, but really, it costs God everything. That word slaughter, we only use that about animals. I've never, ever, only in the worst, 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 Worst situations have I ever heard someone use the word slaughter for human beings? It's probably the worst word you could use to describe the death of someone, this word. And this is the word that describes the death of Jesus Christ. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He went there. You know what sometimes I think too? People think, oh, he went there because I would believe. You know, he he went to Calvary even if you never believed. If you were never going to believe on him, he still would have done it. He still would have done it. He would have gone to the slaughter even if no one ever believed. You say, oh, no, he wouldn't. The Bible says he went there for sins. He didn't go there so that he would know there would be a lot of people that would believe. He went there and he did it and he didn't force to do it. He did it because he loves you. The last word here, silence. Like, the word that's used twice here, he opened not his mouth. I like this word maybe the most in the chapter, because it's repeated twice. But if you were to count up in your Bible, if you started reading through the Gospels, and you read all the words of the Lord Jesus, all the words that he said, you would read that he said in his whole life, all the words that we have recorded, said about 32,000 words. You know how many words you say in one day? 7,000. That means if you counted your words from today until Friday, that would be all the words that we have of the Lord Jesus. You say, that's not a whole lot. That's not a lot. That's actually a small amount. You want to know what's more amazing than that? Think how old some of you are. 
If you spoke 30,000 words in one week, and in the course of a month, 120,000, and some of you are big talkers, say a lot of words, a lot of words, and, and you get up into the millions of words by the time you're just double-digit ages. The Lord Jesus, his whole life, from when he was born, all the way until he was almost 30 years old, you know, we only ever had like five or six words recorded about him. So few. He was so quiet, so silent, the Bible says. In fact, on so many times in his life, there was silence. He didn't say anything. You would expect he's called the Word of God. You'd say, he must have been speaking all the time. But the Bible says, no, there were so many times that he was silent. And I think that's good because sometimes, you ever hear your parents say, all I want is a little peace and quiet. I just, I don't want to hear anything. Sometimes, you know, we're in the car and there's a lot of people in my car say, hey, just no one talk for a while. Just a little quiet. And when things are quiet, you tend to hear when someone says something, you, you automatically, you, you prick your ears. You hear something. Think about when David faced Goliath. And, and when Goliath would come out into that valley for, for 40 days, he would say, who's going to come against me? Who's going to come and fight me? And amongst all the Israelites, there was quiet. No one said anything. And then after 40 days, all of a sudden, you have a small shepherd boy who comes out and says, I'll fight you. And, and, and he says something. And, and it's not quiet anymore. You think about the span of history. It was so quiet on this earth for 4,000 years. And, and you can think of Satan. You think of him. And he's asking if there's anybody who could challenge him. And for 4,000 years, there was never anybody. Not a man. It was just quiet on the earth. And then all of a sudden, one day, there was a man who came from Nazareth, and he said, I will. He was the one who would die. He was the one who would defeat death. Here's the one, you see, he never had to open his mouth often, but when he did, people listened to what he said. But when he was led to his death, the Bible tells us he didn't open his mouth. He was before a lot of judges, some judges named Caiaphas and Pilate, before a lot of religious officials, before soldiers. And the Bible tells us over and over again, they, they would hit him, they would ask him questions, they would charge him, and it says he didn't open his mouth. And a lot of people wonder about this. A lot of people say, I wonder why. I wonder why he didn't open his mouth. You ever had someone say something about you that's not true? You ever have been accused of something? I remember going to the principal's office in the eighth grade, and they were gonna suspend me for doing something that I hadn't done. It was in a basketball game uh, in our gym class, and someone had thrown a basketball at someone, and they said it was, it was me, it was not me, it wasn't even close to it. When I got into the principal's office, and they said, David, they said, and the other people were there, they said, if you did this, we're going to have to call your parents, and you're going to be suspended for a minimum of two days. You think I said anything? He said, oh, you better. You better have spoken up and said, you got the wrong person. It was not me. I didn't do it. You know, I've had to go to court. And I went to court once. And when I got to court, they had the wrong license plate. And instead, the mistaken license plate was mine. And they said that I had done the speeding thing. I had gone through a toll booth and had it paid. And when I got there, you think when they said, you owe the court $400, you think I just said, 
yeah, okay, whatever. Oh, I said, hey, look, look at my license plate. It doesn't match. It's not me. You got the wrong guy. I spoke up for myself because it wasn't me. When the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was going to Calvary, and they said all the things about him, and they were all false, they were all wrong, they were all lies, how come he never said anything? How come he never said, hey, you got the wrong person? It's, it's not me. I, I've never done anything wrong. How come he didn't say, hey, hey, if you see my life, I've never sinned once. I've never done a wrong thing. You have the wrong person. Why did he not say something? Why does the Bible say, and says it twice, he opened not his mouth? Why? 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 There's some people in the meeting here tonight and they know why. And there's other people who don't. The reason he didn't open his mouth is because he wasn't there for himself. He was there for me. You see, I was guilty. I was a sinner. I had done wrong things. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3 and 19, it says this, that we are all guilty because we've all broken God's laws. And it says, knowing that we're guilty, it says that every mouth might be closed, every mouth might be shut, and that all the world would become guilty before God. It's a great thing to be guilty before God because the Bible tells me here about God's Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. A Lamb who was led to the slaughter and a Lamb who never opened his mouth because he was not there for anything he had done. He was there for me. If he opened his mouth that day, if he opened his mouth and said, no, you're the wrong person, you know, I would be in hell for all eternity. But because he was quiet, because the Savior, who had done nothing wrong, was willing to die for my sins, to go to the slaughter, he said nothing because he was there for me. I was guilty. So the Bible tells me he's similar, just like you or I, except he has no sins. The Bible said it wasn't just his life. He couldn't save you because of his words. He had to save you because of he was willing to die to be slaughtered. And the Bible says he did it silently. He never opened his mouth. Why? Because he was there instead of you. If you were there that day, you couldn't have opened your mouth. If you ever stand before a judge one day and someone asks you about all the wrongs you've done and all the wrong things you've fought and all the wrong things you've said, you know the Bible said one day there's going to be this throne in heaven called the Great White Throne. So people will stand before God that day. And when he opens up the books of all the sins that you have done, it says then that people will be quiet. Because you'll have no defense. You'll have nothing to say. You'll have no excuse. Thank God you never have to go there because Jesus Christ already took all your punishment, took all your judgment, and he died for your sins. He died instead of you 
so that you could be saved. You say, I don't know, can I believe that? You could believe it. You know what's great? It says it twice. It says it twice that he opened not his mouth. In case you didn't believe it the first time, it says it a second time. And in case you don't believe that Christ died, it doesn't say it once. It says it so many times that he died for your sins. It says it so many times that he took your place. But you know what? Even if it only said it once, the fact that God says it is enough for you to believe it. You could believe this. And you say, does a verse save you? No, a verse doesn't save you. Does a song save you? No, a song doesn't save you. Does a prayer save you? No. You know who saves you? The man who died for you, Jesus Christ. He saves. Because he's the lamb who went through the slaughter. He's the lamb who takes away your sins. He's the one that God has given in order that God could have you. And he did it because he loved you. You could have that tonight. Or you could still go home lost. But you have a great opportunity tonight. Instead of losing your soul, you could lose your sin. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ died for our sins. God commended his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You could believe that because God has said it and you could be saved. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son. We're thankful for all that he has done. And maybe, uh, especially tonight as we read these words, we are thankful for all that he said, and we're just as thankful for the times that he said nothing. We think of this man, how unique that we can be thankful for both what he has said and what he didn't say. And so we give thanks on the cross, he can say it is finished. But when they led him to the cross, and they made all those accusations against him, he opened not his mouth. So we pray tonight that there would be someone here who would open their mouth, that they would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, and they would be saved. And this we ask in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing. We'll sing one in closing here on him. Hymn number 17. Christ is the Savior of sinners. Christ is the Savior for me. Long was I chained in sin's darkness. Now, by his grace, I am free. We'll sing verses 1 and 2. And we'll sing 1 and 2 and 3 of hymn number 17. And then our meeting will be over. Christ is our Savior of sin.